0: I have a huge announcement to make, everybody. This is the first podcast of the Nine Finger Chronicles for 2016, and my guest today. There's probably only one percent of Americans who don't know who he is. He is. <laughs> he's a writer. He's a blogger. He's an avid bow hunter, and he is. A little bit. He's retired male model, and he's also my boss. (laughs) He's also my boss. (laughs) In another podcast called the the Wired to Hunt podcast, Mark Kenyon, welcome to the Nine Finger Chronicles. (laughs) Thank you, sir. That's it's a lot of fun
1: for me. I, I I never get the introduction for me, so this is a nice change. I'm I'm liking it.
0: Did you like the introduction?
1: It was really good. You you talked me up better than anyone but my mom ever has. <laughs> wow.
0: That's, second place is all right with me.
1: Yeah, you're, you're stacked right in between my mom and my grandma, so it's
0: a good, <laughs> good place to be. Well, I tell you, first off, thanks for taking time out of your schedule to be on my podcast.
1: No problem, man. It's the least I can do. You take a lot of time out of uh, your schedule for Wired to Hunt. And uh, I'm I'm pumped to be on the Nine Finger Chronicles.
0: This is cool. So I tell you, there is going to be some ground rules, though, on this podcast. You can never interrupt. Because you are now second in charge, you can never interrupt me. You can. I'm just. I'm just <laughs> kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I got to. I got to give you some grief. You should. I, I deserve it. Well, um, as hey, you- what do
1: you think about talking about this no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> testing that not interrupting rule.
0: (laughs) Oh, we're going to have fun today. (laughs) Yeah. So this is a, this is a gear podcast. Uh, most of it is gear related. And, um, I think basically this podcast is just for fun. Uh, we've had several requests from, you know, I make it a point to interact with the listeners of this podcast and the followers of my blog to, uh, be as interactive as as possible and try to, you know, guests that they want and talk about all that good stuff. And I think what, you know, naturally your name came up and you're easy to get to. So I'm like, Hey, let's just get Mark Kenyon on the show. And uh, right off the bat, full disclosure, you have sponsors and you have products that you rep because companies pay you and um I'll, I'll first off i know i can ask you this question cuz you're going to give me a straightforward answer what's it like to get paid to rep a product and and try to rep it in a way that is i guess unbiased
1: yeah it's a, it's a good question because I wondered the same thing for a lot of years, you know, watching TV shows or seeing guys writing and talking about this kind of stuff all the time. So there's a lot of unknown, I guess, out there. Excuse me, I got the the hiccups. <clears throat> but it's been something I've struggled with, actually, like trying to figure out the right way to do it because uh, you and me both have talked about how frustrating and irritating it is sometimes looking at some – Examples in the hunting media, where it's just done in a way that, a, I don't think is very effective. B it comes off as super cheesy, and then three, it just does not seem. Well, I mean, it doesn't seem. It's not unbiased. It seems very um, uh, disingenuous, maybe. Right. So, you know, going into this when I when I was looking at how do I take Wired to Hunt from a hobby to a career, you know, how can I make a living and I knew that sponsorships would be some part of that. So early on, you know, five, six years ago when I was just getting started with that side of things, I had to do a lot of thinking, you know, how can I do this in a way that, you know, is beneficial for a company, right? They need to find some kind of benefit out of working with me. Um, but also be able to be honest with my audience, straightforward and, and be able to do this in a way that I feel is, um, is the right way to do it. Um, so, for me the biggest thing with Wired Hunt and with the people that I you know engage with in there and in our audience just as it is I'm sure with your audience um, you know having trust is like the most important thing you know if if my audience our audience doesn't trust what we're talking about and the advice we give or the experiences we share if that's not there there's no reason at all for them to pay attention to what we're doing to read our articles to listen to our podcast Um, and so that's so important And, and first and foremost also you know it's, it's a two-way relationship, right? I mean, right. It, I know you've seen this too. When you start a blog or podcast or whatever, you put this stuff out there into the world. And you don't know if anyone's seeing it or if anyone cares about it until like, you get an email from someone one day or a comment on Facebook from someone or a tweet on Twitter, whatever it is. And all of a sudden you realize there are people out there and what I'm sharing is actually impacting them in some way maybe. Um, and you develop a relationship with that audience and those people and you develop, in many cases, friendships. Yep. Um, and that's really cool and it's really important. And I think you know, for me it's been just – the The most important thing has always been maintaining that relationship, you know, with integrity and honesty. because if I don't do that, I'm doing my audience harm, and I'm not helping my business either. So that's a long way of getting to what I'm trying to say here, which is the very first thing when it came down to it was that I was going to be very picky about who I worked with in regards to partners or sponsors, because I just I, I would not sit there and rep a company or talk about a company if I didn't really believe that it was a high-quality product that I was going to personally use and personally recommend. So right from the get-go, I didn't run any sponsors. I didn't do any sponsorships with companies for the first like three or four years, three years, I think, of Wired Hunt, because I couldn't get partnerships with the companies that I already trusted and that I already believed in. So I didn't want to take a sponsorship from a company that I really did not believe in. So for three years, I made no money at all because I wanted to wait until I could get the right people. So finally, after some number of years, I was able to get the people that I actually believed in. And for the most part, I've been able to keep working with a handful of those same companies for this entire time. And most of the companies I've been working with, I've been using for five, six, seven, some of these companies almost as long as I've been bow hunting. Um, So that's been a big part of it is just, you know, making sure I'm being very picky about who I work with because I want to make sure that if I'm working with a company that you can trust that I really do believe in that company, that I really do recommend it because I have invested in them myself and, and and believe in that product myself. So that's first and foremost. And secondly, I think it's how you go about representing that company. Um so, you know, I've always been very clear in my partnership agreements with the companies, you know, here's what you here's what this relationship looks like between my company and your company. And very clearly it's, you know, you're gonna have advertisements on my site, You're going to have advertisements on our podcast and, you know, we're going to do things where if I have some of your products, you know, that might be visible in a video or that might be visible in photography or that might be visible um, or talked about in an article. But, you know, I've not been the one and I don't think it's effective to do the cheesy, you know, after you shoot a deer, talk about the 16 different products that were 100 percent responsible for why you killed that deer or, you know, just harping on that kind of stuff I don't think any gear, while all the gear, you know, lots of different things I use, I think are very helpful and I definitely have preferences and I definitely believe in certain things. An individual piece of gear is not going to be the reason why you are successful doing a bunch of different little things the right way, I think will be the reason why you might be successful. So gear is important, but it's not the ultimate thing in the very absolute end. Uh, And I think it's disingenuous when someone tries to tell you otherwise. So, I don't know. That's my typical <laughs> rambling, but <laughs> I think that's kind of where my head's at on that topic and, and how I try to um, try to go about that the right way. And just being honest and like, you know, you've heard it on the podcast where I've explained these same things to our audience on the Wired Hunt podcast before I talked about, hey, you know, this is why we do it. This is why we're working with who we're working with. Um, you know, we're trying to do it in a way that's interesting still to you. It's not in your face. It's not annoying. Um, and we also ask for feedback, you know, is this interesting? Is this a good way to go about it? Do you want to hear more? Do you want to hear less? Um, so it's something we're still trying to improve. I want to make sure that we do it in a way that's, of course, it has to be beneficial for the company, but also if we're doing, you know, if I'm doing my job right, hopefully it'll be beneficial to our audience too, in some way. So, you know, I guess the long, the long answer to that very long one was simply, um it's something I'm always thinking about.
0: Good deal. Well, I think he answered the question. So there's that. <laughs> Good. <laughs> now, let's let's talk about individual gear for um for a little bit. And first thing I want to talk to you about is I'm I'm actually doing I I just wrote a blog the other day or yesterday. And I reached out to my listeners and my followers, and I want them to go out and shoot bows, and I want them to bring their their reviews back to me. And then I'm going to have them on the show, and we're going to discuss their findings and what they like about the bows that they tested, what they didn't like about the bows that they tested. And um, would they trade their current bow in for one of these other bows that they've tested? I saw that. It's a
1: cool idea.
0: So. When it comes to Mark Kenyon he's looking for a bow he wants to pick up I know I know your' spot you have a, a bow sponsor right now but when when you go to a bow shop what are what are you looking for in a bow
1: for me it comes down to really one you know you hear a lot of buzzwords when it comes to bows right um, and if I had to pick one buzzword that matters to me it's forgiveness yeah so I'm not some kind of Olympic archery shooter. I'm just not. I practice a lot. I do my darndest to be as good as I possibly can. um, But I need a forgiving bow. So I'm not picking one of the super speed bows. I don't want one of the super small bows. Um, I'm looking for long axle to axle length. I'm looking for a decent brace height, you know, seven inches. Um, And I'm looking for easy drawing bow. Easy to draw, easy to hold, comfortable. Um, if I can get a bow like that, that's really stable and that's really easy for me to hold back. That is, is the kind of bow that I want to be shooting. So, um, you know, you know me, I'm not some big kind of hulking guy, so I can't have, you know, an 80 pound pole shooting 380 pounds. That's just not me. So I'd rather have a, uh, a longer, but easier to draw back and hold bow. I think for me, just having, the, the ability to get a, a calm, controlled, accurate shot is much more important than having something super fast, super powerful. I just need to put it in the right place. So that's what
0: I'm looking for with a bow. I tell you, I fell victim to the speed train, the, that whole speed, you know, speed kill, speed, 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 speed. I, oh, yeah. I fell victim to that, and I kind of regret the decision on the last bow that I got because it has a shorter brace brace height. I have poor form and I feel that I need exactly what you just mentioned. The, the longer axle to axle, the lo- bigger brace height. And for me, the next bow that I get is going to be as the, as forgiving as humanly possible.
1: Yeah. that That's, I just keep on saying that more and more. I think like you, you know, I get excited when I see a a new high speed rating. You know, I think that's a lot of these companies are pushing the heck out of that marketing that so much. And, and yeah, it's, we just inherently like, you know, seeing like numbers like that, that prove Oh, this bow's better because of that. So it's right. easy to fall for that. But I think more and more, at least from what I hear, and obviously from what I've experienced, I think more and more people are seeing that when you go for speed at the expense of things like shootability and just being able to get a, a good quality shot, and easy holding it back and and you know, smooth draw. When you lose those things, speed doesn't really matter.
0: Okay. So so that's what I look for now. Amen. All right, so let's take a next step into. I'm just kind of tumbling in my head here. Let's talk about broadheads. Are broadheads. There, for me, every time I hear someone talk about broadheads. It, it's like – it's even more than what bow do you shoot. It's like what broadhead do you shoot? And people – it's like there's wars being waged over yeah, what – It's religion. Exactly. It's
1: religion, man.
0: <laughs> Rage in the cage. Uh-huh. Oh, so, yeah.
1: You'll, you can break lifelong friendships over broadhead <laughs> debates. I hope that doesn't happen here.
0: <laughs> I, well, I don't think so, but it might, uh, and it possibly could. Uh, over the years, I've had – I have shot several – several different companies, several different broadheads. What about you? Have you had is, are you a fan of mechanicals or, or fixed heads or what do you like?
1: So early on in my archery career, I started with a fixed blade and then pretty quickly after that, I moved to a mechanical, um, heck true fire, or something really early on, uh, just cause you know, this is when I was still a young, pretty young bow hunter. And I just heard, Hey, it's more accurate. So I used that for a while. And then, I don't know, maybe around 2008 or nine, I switched to a Rage, to a 2 Rage. And, um, you know, there's some really compelling things about a Rage. We've all seen the marketing, awesome blood trails and, you know, huge hole, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so I used a Rage for a long time. Uh, and it was one of those things where, like, I never had a super bad experience with one, um, but you always hold, heard the horror stories, right? And not, nothing against Rage, um, because I've killed a lot of deer with them. They've been they've been great broadheads for me. But then you always hear this isn't about just about Rage. This is about mechanicals in general. That if you hit the shoulder blade or something like that, you deflect or you won't get the penetration. You know, you hear the horror stories about that kind of thing. Yep. So for like five years, every year I'm like, ah, I think I'm going to try to switch to a, to a fixed blade. But then every, every year then, once the season arrives, I just, you know, get stuck with what was comfortable and what I'd used before. So I just kept shooting my mechanical, um, and they were, you know, pretty accurate, pretty good, and I had, you know, no major issues. But this year, I finally decided to bite the bullet and switch to fixed blade because I did have to use a fixed blade in Idaho on my elk hunts, excuse me, for the past three years. And I had hit and killed a, a nice bull elk last year with one. So I felt kind of a renewed, excuse me, a renewed sense of confidence in that. So this year I decided to not just use a fixed blade for elk season, but also all through deer season. And um, so for the first year, I've killed whitetails with a fixed blade broadhead, um, and I've been really happy with it. Um, I let me think here of the well of the four deer I killed this year, they were all killed with that fixed blade broadhead. And
0: what broadhead uh, was it?
1: Every, yeah, it's a Muzzy Trocar. Okay. Hundred grain Muzzy Trocar, and everyone. So you know what you hear about, you know, when it comes to fixed blades, is you you know might not be quite as accurate, and you know you're not going to have as much blood. You might not have as big of an entrance hole, all that kind of stuff. That's one of the things that with a mechanical, you could get a huge opening and all that kind of stuff. Um, but with the fixed blade, I would have the added insurance that if for some reason I did hit bone, if I hit the shoulder blade, you know, I'd be able to still get some penetration. So this year, would that be the case was my question. I had four shots or four deer that I killed, and all four of them died within sight of where I shot them. None of them, not a single one of them, if I'm thinking here right, ran more than 40 yards. So that was pretty impressive. Serious penetration. Everyone either passed through or... My last deer that I shot just last night, actually, my shot was a little forward. I had the dreaded shoulder blade shot, which I'd always worried about having with my mechanicals. Thank goodness I switched because I hit the shoulder blade with my trocar, and I shattered the shoulder blade and smashed through the back shoulder blade, and that deer was dead in 10 seconds. So right there, that for me uh, proved that I made the right decision, at least at this point. I know that people will go back and forth and back and forth, and maybe I will too, but um, I feel good about what I did.
0: Right, and I agree with you. Like, I I shot my my two does that I shot this year were with fixed blades. First time I ever killed a deer with fixed blade broadheads, ever. And uh, I like I like the results, and I don't know if I would say those results are going to keep me from mechanicals in the future. But knowing that, let's say on the elk hunt we went this year. Knowing that I have to have fixed blades because of rules and regulations, I just don't have the time to, once I get back from that trip, that short window to throw new tips on my arrows and try to re, you know, realign everything. I, I just, so this year I just stayed with fixed.
1: Right, right. Yeah. It's tough to, to sw- swap in and out. And I mean, based on what I saw and it sounds like what you saw too, at least you know, in this instance, the difference in accuracy, I didn't find to be tremendously different. And I'm not such a good shot that even if I was using the best possible flying broadhead that I'm going to hit the same spot every time in a deer hunting situation. So, I, you know, I realize there's going to be a little bit of imperfection there. And, uh, with a fixed blade, I think it gives you a little bit of insurance if you do,
0: you know, pull your shot just a touch. So I don't know. It's worked out all right now one thing that I know you put a lot of thought into uh, on this western trip and I know uh, for, for me anyway uh, I I already had a pack that probably wasn't the best pack for what we what went and do which was a DIY backcountry camping trip uh, camping slash hunting trip what a what are you looking for is your is your? bow hunting pack in your Western pack different. And what are you looking for? Let's say, well, let's just talk about whitetails right now. What do you need or what are you looking for, for a, for a whitetail pack?
1: Yeah. So, so two very different things, right? Um, so with the whitetail pack, um, simplicity and organization, I guess is what I want in a whitetail pack. Um, I don't need too many bells and whistles. Um, I just need enough space to bring extra layers, some food, for during the rut, and uh, my Ozonics, and my camera gear. So because I do bring camera gear, I need a little bit bigger backpack or pack than the average deer hunter maybe. Um, you know, some guys can just get away with a little tiny backpack or a fanny pack or something like that. Um, I need a full backpack. Um, so so that's what I've been using. I used to, the past five years, I used a really big backpack, um, a bigger pack that's kind of made for Western hunts. Um, which was nice because I had less of extra room. This year I switched to another pack that was a little bit smaller, but because of kind of how it's set up, it, it works pretty well, and there's straps that if I had like an extra big jacket or something, I could strap that on the outside. Um, so that was nice. And then and then organization, I just want a pack that has the right pockets. Um, and when I say the right pockets, I just need something to put my little bitty items. You know, I've got things like uh, my, my puffer for checking wind. I've got my, my headlamp. Uh, you know, little different things like that, my phone or whatever it might be. I want to have a couple little pockets so I can organize that. I don't like just one big open pocket that everything gets dumped into. Because then when you're up in the tree before daylight, you're just digging around and they're trying to find stuff. I, I don't want to deal with that. So I I'd, I'd rather have stuff in individual places. So when I'm in the tree or when I need something quick, I know exactly where to find it. So those are the two big things. And then, you know, some waterproofness either on the pack itself or a, or a cover because I like to hunt in, in rainy conditions a lot. So I want to make sure that everything is not going to get soaked through. So those are kind of my, my basic prereqs in a pack for white tail. I
0: am going to, I'm going to give you a shout out here to one of your sponsors, Sitka and their, their, their backpack, the one that you can unzip and you can put your stand. I'm a, I'm a huge running gunner, you know, running gun, uh, mobile, very mobile hunter and they, their backpack, you can zip the, the pack off and basically have just a, a, an area to put your stand and sticks, strap it down and then put the pack back over top of that. That to me is something amazing. Like that is for, for one of the products for 2015, that helped me hunt better that particular pack, that was it for me. I, I love that pack. Yeah, that that's the toolbox I
1: think and, and that's what I'm using this year too. And like you said, awesome pack. Um and if you don't have that feature, which is sweet, at the minimum, you know, I you definitely have a you need a bunch of straps in your pack so that yeah, you can sure. do that kind of stuff, the running gun. Um I've always liked to have at least some some straps on the back and on the bottom because what I would do before I had this this pack is that I would strap the stand on the back of the pack and then I always had bottom straps that I could put my sticks underneath um so that's what I worked out so yeah definitely some type of straps if you don't have
0: a a pack specifically made for hauling stands you got to be able to improvise somehow my last my last pack was and the one that I took on the western hunt which was probably just a hair too small or I packed too much crap um was the, uh, let's see, what was it? It was the Tenzing TZ-4000, and that had exactly what you just said. It had straps on the bottom where I could roll up my overalls and strap up uh, any extra clothes underneath, and then two big straps that came across the back, and I could put my Lone Wolf right, and and the sticks right on the back, and it was just e- easy to carry. So, yeah, there's that. Yeah. Gotta have something like that. Right, right, right. Now what should we talk about next? Anything, what, what product was there anything this year that blew your mind from a product standpoint or that you, a new product that you tried that you really liked?
1: Hmm. Um, you know, I, I don't try that many new things to tell you the truth. Yeah. (laughs) I kind of just stick with the things that have always worked. I'm a, uh, I kind of get comfortable, I guess. If if it if it ain't broke, don't fix it. That's right. Uh, at least with my gear, I try a lot of different tactics all the time, trying new things. But once I have confidence in something, like an item, I rarely leave it to try something different. If I, you know, there's so many variables when it comes to hunting mature deer that can go wrong. You know, so many things can happen. That if I can eliminate something, if there's something I can say, like I can just check it off the box and say that's not going to fail, that's not going to mess up. I want to stick with what's safe. So I mean. You know i've been using the similar tree stands similar bow similar camo similar scent control similar boots similar almost everything i mean you know the only different thing well one of the only different things i've changed in the last two years as like new gear that i've added to my repertoire is something that you and me talk all about um last year i started adding nose jammer to my scent oh, brand yeah. scent management and uh that has been something that, um, you know, as far as my scent control, um, you know, I, I go through the whole, you know, keep everything scent free, keep it outside, spray everything down, take the scent free shower. I use an Ozonics machine, which I think is a huge, huge help. Um, but nose jammer is one more thing I added to that. Um, as, as you know, you know, the nose is the most important thing and it's tough to beat the nose. So I've anything I can possibly do to help. I try it. And nose jammer definitely seems like one of those things that does help, um, So, I've seen time and time again, this year especially, more than any other year. um, You know, in the past, while doing everything and having an Ozonix machine, I'd still occasionally get busted. Um, You know, if the wind swirls or something and your ozone isn't blowing right down over where your wind is going, sometimes it doesn't help as much as it can. Um, So, in those situations, I might get busted. But this year, in that type of situation, and late last year when I was using Nose Jammer, even if the wind was swirling and something was going wrong, if my Ozonics couldn't capture it and all my other things couldn't capture it, it seemed like the Nose Jammer would. Um, I had three hunts in particular, I remember in Iowa, where my wind was blowing straight from behind me out into the field in front of me. And it was it was kind of a crazy situation. It wasn't ideal, but I didn't expect the deer to feed that far out in the field before I'd get a shot at them. And... I ended up seeing just a lot more deer than I ever thought. The first night, I saw like 40 deer, including several mature bucks, and they all passed directly downwind of me and didn't care. And that just kind of blew my mind. Even though I've seen that type of thing before, this is like so extreme. So many deer, including shooter bucks. And it happened the same night, or the same thing happened the next night from the same tree stand with more another mature buck, bunch more does. And the third night, it happened again. Um, so... I, I'm sure you talk about, maybe you've talked about this in the podcast, but um, those two items there, the
0: Ozonics and Nose Jammer for me
1: personally, at least that's been a big thing.
0: Yeah. And if you haven't, if you guys who are listening to this one now, haven't uh, checked out uh previous podcast, I did interview the owner and the uh, inventor of Nose Jammer. if you want to say it's an invention, because it's basically just, uh, he took vanilla extract or anyway, I'm not going to try to explain it cuz I don't know. I'm not a scientist, okay? But go listen to the You're nose close. Yeah, go go listen to the Nose Jammer podcast <laughs> and you'll learn all about it. There you go. So, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what 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 would take when it comes to products and there's so many different products on the market that pretty much do the same thing and and we can sit here and I can comfortably say that any bow with any arrow setup and any broadhead setup will kill a deer with the right amount of practice what should Absolutely. When when people are are going to pick out their their gear how should they feel like what kind any advice Give me what, from from your standpoint, advice to any purchaser of any piece of hunting equipment. That question sucked, didn't it? Uh, that was a that was a very broad <laughs> question. So,
1: so, so give my advice for any hunter about buying any product.
0: <laughs> you have oh. you have two hours to answer.
1: <laughs> I'll take all the time.
0: No, let's, um, no, there. I can, you walk into you walk into a a sporting goods store and there are shelves full of broadheads and shelves full of releases and sights and bows and camo. How 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 should a guy narrow down his choices? How about that?
1: Yeah. Um so I would take a couple things to account. I would um first and foremost talk to your friends. Um I mean, you know, just hearing from people that you trust is is a huge thing just to get some basic ideas. Um do your research, you know, online and, and read and everything like that. But but to the point you made in the past, you know, sometimes you're going to get reviews from a magazine or something that just basically tell you the specs of the bow and say it shoots nice and it has this 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 and this. That's not all that terribly useful. Um, so find people you trust. Maybe that's a buddy. Maybe that's listening to a podcast like this and then hearing from you, Dan, or Wired down podcast or whatever it might be. Um, so you know, get some input. But then I think it comes down to You have to test the water somehow and just start learning about some of this gear. Um, So try some things. And then I think, and maybe this doesn't answer your question, but I think there's a few things that I personally think really matter. Like spend your money on a couple things that will make a big difference, and then there's a lot of other things that maybe you don't need right away or you don't need the fanciest thing right away. Um, So, you know, for example, I think to your point, there's a lot of great bows out there. And I think a lot of it comes down to, <clears throat> excuse me, it comes down to personal preference. Right. Um, but if you can't afford a $1,000 bow, the $450 bow, in many cases, you're going to be able to kill a deer just as well. I mean, there's there's obviously benefits to nicer bows, of course, that you know we all appreciate. But a $450 bow will get the job done, right? You right. can do the things you need to do to get a deer. Um, you know, when it comes to, uh, I don't know, another type of item like... Tree stand, though, I do think that tree stands are something that are worth spending the money on in specific instances. So for me, when it comes to a tree stand, for a tree stand that's just going to sit in the tree, um, for my usual stand setups that I'm going to hang in the spring or summer, and then I'm going to hunt them a handful of times in the fall, for those, I don't personally spend big money on those. I buy the cheapest tree stand I can get because all I really need is a comfortable seat where I'm actually hunting all day, so I'll bring a better cushion into that tree stand. I'd rather spend $40 on a cheap tree stand because going to sit in that stand and might hunt it four times or two times or whatever the whole year when I'm bouncing all over the place. I'd rather do that than, you know, have two tree stands that cost $300. I'd rather have 10 tree stands that cost $40 and have more locations. On the other hand, though, for a tree stand where I'm going to do a run-and-gun set, where I'm moving a lot, I do want to spend a lot of money and get the right tree stand for that, for that function. Because I do think having a really light, quiet, easy to set up tree stand makes a huge difference when you're trying to hang a stand, actually when you're hunting that day. So for that, I spend and I buy the most expensive tree stand. So for me personally, I buy the $40 tree stand for my regular setups. They're going to sit there all day and I buy the $350 tree stand, but I only buy one of them or two of them tops for my mobile stand setup. So that's one thing that I would keep in mind. Um, I do think your clothing is something that matters a lot. Um, you know, there's almost nothing more important than just being able to be in the tree and stay comfortable and stay out there and functioning. So if you don't have the right clothing for that, I think that's something that can be a long-term investment that makes sense. Good rain gear. I think, uh, I know a guy once that, (laughs) I know a guy once that decided not to buy good rain gear for a hunting trip and he he was so wet that he ended up <laughs> having to wear a black
0: garbage bag
1: <laughs> to try to stay dry. What kind of jackass would do that?
0: <laughs> yeah, that guy sounds like a huge douche, and uh, he should probably quit hunting, right? <laughs> and, and
1: if that if that kind of guy had a podcast, I don't know. I don't know if I'd listen to it.
0: <laughs> right. Right. I agree with you, Mark. <laughs> 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 so so
1: there's that so I there's, think uh, when it comes to buying gear <laughs> Identify a couple core things That are worth spending the extra money on You know if money's tight and you have to pick and choose I think things like that are the first places to do it And then after that you know Get by with what you can Get out in the woods Don't let gear keep you from hunting You know do the best you can Enjoy it and learn Ask people Test things out for yourself
0: Right And you know I hate to say it But One thing that I have found over my years of bow hunting is that in this market, price does reflect quality. I feel that, for example, uh, like like say like Kuyu gear or Sitka gear or any of those those clothing gear type of, uh, they're more than just a camo pattern. They're actually, uh, it's a system that stuff's expensive and, but it, but it works. And you know, that, that prevents you from wearing something that's just a camo pattern and the system isn't 17 hooded sweatshirts. You know what I mean? Right. (laughs) Yeah. Last, last year was so freaking cold. I had i I had a camel pattern that I thought was great, but it wasn't gear really and it and it ended up forcing me to get out of the tree because I was so uncomfortable so this year, although it wasn't near as cold, I made a change to my get up and uh thanks to you and uh because i re- I remember what was it not last was it wasn't was it last year me and you sit were sitting and have like a really serious heart to heart conversation about gear and camo and, and, uh, and you're like, you gotta try Sika. You gotta try Sika. Well, this year (laughs) I tried it. It's pretty badass. anyway.
1: Um, it's like you said, I think those types of things are, there are some things that are worth the money.
0: Right. Right. And, and you'll learn after years. and, And I, this is the kind of person that I used to be. I used to be the kind of person who, who, was didn't make a lot of money and I still don't make a lot of money I'm just smarter with my my purchases now um and it doesn't help to get hooked up by contacts that I've made throughout the years in the hunting industry but uh for you know for the products that I do have to purchase that are expensive you you save your money and you learn you know once you do get some of these higher end higher quality products it can make a world of difference aside from just, God, I, I, I don't want to spend the money. I don't have the money. So I'm going to buy something that costs 20 bucks every year, instead of spending something that costs $200, you know, saving up my money for three years to, to buy. So that's me yeah. going on a, t- yeah, I agree. a tantrum. <laughs> uh, let's see here. What else do you want to talk about?
1: Oh man, I don't know.
0: Uh let's talk about something crazy. Okay? Let's talk about a product like uh first one that came comes to my mind, there's a thing called a quiet cat. You ever yeah, you, <laughs> you ever seen the quiet cat? Yes. It's I'm basically an electric cat. an electric tricycle, or you can stand up on it and <laughs> I think you can do sweet moves on it, but Yeah, you can do wheelies. You can do wheelies. Do you think if you had Endless like money wasn't an option for you. Would you buy something like that? And do you think that would work in on in the terrain that you currently hunt?
1: I. I don't think so, but I don't know. It's one of those things that when I started seeing like advertisements for it, I just laughed. Yeah, it just seemed kind of goofy to like see Bill Winky wheeling around on an electric scooter <laughs> in a food plot. Um, God bless him, but I just chuckled. It just seemed kind of ridiculous. Like, do we really need electric scooters to ride around? Right. Um, but, but I think there's something to be said to a quiet wheeled vehicle of something to be able to access stand size or different parts of your property. Um, so if money wasn't an option, maybe, maybe I'd look at it. I mean, I, I've always wanted some type of, um, you know, maybe like uh, one of the UTVs, like one of the electric UTVs, like uh bad boy buggy you, like, type deal, like the bad boy buggy or something like that. Yeah. Um, I've never used one, so I don't really know how quiet it is. But um, but if it is as quiet as they say, um, that'd be neat. Just because it's it's nice to be able to get around without needing to walk and and leave your scent everywhere. But a little more affordable option. You and me actually talked about this recently. Um, I really do think there's something is there is something to the wheeled access to and from stands to do stuff like that. So I'm gonna instead of getting a quiet cat, I'm going to get a mountain bike and use that to, to wheel around my properties where, you know, I can access a stand in a different way. So whether it's a mountain bike or a quiet cat, if you don't want to self-power it, um, I think, you know, being able to move in and out without leaving your tracks, without, you know, leaving your scent, uh, without sounding like a human being walking, you know, step, step, step. I think deer won't associate the sound of a bike or you know wheels going through as ne- you know as much with a human as they would if you're just crunching through the leaves yourself, um, you know. So I think some things like that maybe would help, but I don't I don't see myself buying a quiet cat. Although you know I don't I don't know if I would never try it, but I think that's one of those things that if I had you know however many dollars that is, I think I would personally spend it on something different. But that's just me.
0: Gotcha. Gotcha.
1: What about what about you? Would you would you get a quiet cat?
0: You know. I probably would, because I'm I'm the kind of guy who. You got those bad knees. I got the bad knees, Mark. I got <laughs> bad knees, and I'm I'm almost getting bad hips too. So, you know, hey. I am. I'm thirty five. I'm thirty Thirty five years. spring chick anymore? Nope, nope. And shit, what you were born in two thousand, so. Yeah. You're 15. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> I still use an electric scooter to go back and forth
0: from middle school. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. Uh, <laughs> the uh did you ever used to fall for gimmicks like uh acorn cruncher or the black rack or anything like that?
1: Uh, let me think here. Um I've not tried either one of those.
0: Um I'm
1: trying to think if I have tried anything gimmicky.
0: I tell you what, when I first started bow hunting, the, the huge thing was those earth wafers that you would close pin uh, to yeah. to your clothes. Shit. I had 15 of those things all over, <laughs> all over from on my, on my pants, on my boots, on my hat, on my shirt. And I'm, I just, that was real early in the bow hunting game for me. And I just thought that was the product that was going to change. That was going to change my luck. I bet it made you look cool. Right. <laughs> well, I, you know, if I could go back and then try to find and look at some old hunting pictures, I bet you I didn't look cool. My all, all my all my camouflage was, like, homemade. I bought it at Walmart, and then I would cut triangle sections out of it, so it would then turn to 3D. Two little slits, so it made a triangle, and then over time it would flip up, and it would look like those expensive leaf suits.
1: <laughs> it's... It did look pretty from the stuff I've seen in your old videos is very yeah. impressive.
0: Yeah, that's the real deal. Any yeah. do you do any do you do any type of DIY stuff? And what I mean by that is like wrap your tree stands in like rope or uh, that that tape that uh, muffles sound. Do you do you ever do anything uh, like that?
1: I don't do a whole lot of DIY stuff just because I mean DIY like product stuff, because I am horribly mechanically um uh handicapped i guess i'm not mechanical at all so i can't fix things i can't build things i can't make things i'm just not good at that stuff um i do what you just mentioned though i do wrap a lot of my tree stand hard edges and buckles and things like that with just duct tape Mm -hmm. with like camouflage duct tape or even just gray duct tape um you know because as you do Running gun setups. When I'm trying to set up a tree stand the day I'm hunting it, close to a buck bedding area or something like that, you know, I can't afford to have a buckle swing down and hit the side of the tree stand, and make a huge clank. Um, so I'm trying to do better and better with that. So my mobile setups this year, I I taped all my buckles and the edges of the tree stand and the bottoms where things might clink along, you know, that kind of thing. I do. Um, I'm I don't think there's a whole lot of other things that I really manufacture or tweak other than just the basic things that you would do with, with any product, you know, just tuning and tweaking your bow, um, you know, trying to make sure like a tree stand doesn't squeak, little things like that, you know, adding a little bit of grease here and there. I'll do that kind of thing. Um, But otherwise I'm pretty cut and dry. I take it from the box, make sure it's functioning correctly,
0: and then focus on the hunt. Last question for you, Mark Kenyon. Is there something that just really annoys you? Whether it's setting up a tree stand or shooting your bow or, or dragging a deer out of the woods or gutting gutting a deer, anything that you – that annoys you and that you wish there was either a better product for this particular – this example or there needs to be one created? Anything like that that you can think of?
1: Ooh, That is a really good question. Um, what annoys me? I mean, when I'm thinking, uh, as I'm thinking this question in my head, I'm like thinking, what are the things that annoy me the most? And the things that annoy me the most or like stress me out the most is like getting to and from my tree. I get, I have so much stress getting to and from my tree stands about spooking deer. Like that is the thing. Like I, every single time I go in and out, I'm just cursing to myself. I'm like, you son of a, you spooked that deer. Every time that happens, I'm just pissed. I get really angry every time I go in and out. So if there's some kind of, and again, we, this kind of speaks to what we talked about earlier. If there was a some way I could get to and from my tree stands completely silently and without spooking deer, like give me a zip line to my tree stand. Invent that product that I, somehow I could get to all my different tree stands. That would be something that I would like. Not practical at all, not realistic at all, but um, I need to be able to get in and out of my stands without spooking deer ever. Um, that's what annoys me and frustrates me more than anything. I try really hard to find access and entry routes that aren't going to spook deer. Um, but man, inevitably something always goes wrong. Last or this, this year in Iowa, I tried to be good about an exit, tried not to clear a field. So I was like, all right, I'm gonna go the back way, but I'd never been in this section of the property before. I thought I could go down this hill, what looked like a hill down to another field. And it ended up being like a, like 45 minutes to an hour of me just being stuck in brambles and falling off little cliffs (laughs) and rolling. And it was a disaster. So I don't want to do that ever again.
0: (laughs) You know, two things that really annoy me and I'll just make this real quick. One of them is I wish there was a very small light that you could set a timer to that you would put on your tree stand And you would know that that light would go off like a little bit before you're walking to your stand, so you can see where your tree stands at, and you don't. You're not guessing. I, I I use every once in a while. I use those little reflectors, but I run and gun so much that I'd be buying thousands of them.
1: Isn't I think there is a product kind of like that, Dan. What's it called? If you, I don't know, I don't remember what it's called. I think maybe it was Gorilla that made them, but it, they weren't, it wasn't timed, but it was like a remote control where you could put this little tiny light that like a little kind of looks like a jingle bell kind of thing yep. that you would clip onto your tree stand and then when you're within like a hundred yards or fifty yards or something, if you hit the button, it would light up. It was a little red light. Um, so if you could get within like fifty yards of your location, you could hit it, and you'd be able to see exactly where it was. I'm I'm pretty I couldn't be making this up. I'm sure I've, I've I have seen that product somewhere. I don't remember exactly where, uh, but I'm pretty darn sure that's a thing, or at least it used to be a thing.
0: Well, cool. I'm gonna look into that. So look for that. <laughs> Mark Canyon. Thank you very much for being on the show today. I appreciate it, man.
1: Hey, no problem. It was fun. It was uh it was nice to be uh well, I wasn't even a co-host. I was just a guest. So it was cool to be on the other side of the mic. Well,
0: I I'll, I'll make you an honorary I'll make you an honorary co-host for this episode.
1: Oh, nice. Can we do some kind of like contest about trail cameras that would allow me to invite a guest on your show?
0: Um yeah, but I tell you what, how about this? How about we think about think about it so we're not here looking like dumbasses, and then we will – I'm just kidding. No, no, no. I want this to happen so you can – basically so you can redeem yourself. And Right. Uh... I'm just trying to get back at you. <laughs> anyway, Mark Canyon, where can we find out more about – I mean everybody already knows, but because – my listeners are already your listeners, so if you've never heard of Mark Canyon, Mark, where can they go to to find out more about you, your stuff, all that?
1: Yeah, you can go to wiredtohunt.com. dot com. Um, that's the main website where you'll see all the information about the Wired Hunt podcast, which you, Dan, are the terrific co-host of, and uh, the Whitetail Q&A podcast, which is another short podcast I do. And then all my articles, videos, everything else is at wiredunt.com. We're on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, all that stuff too. But uh, the main site is the best place to get it all.
0: Sounds good. Well, I hope uh, your 2016 turns out marvelous.
1: Thanks, buddy. I'm excited about it, and I'm sure we will be talking again soon. All right. Take care, man.
0: And that brings us to the end of our very first 2016 gear podcast. I tell you, I want to make 2016 big for this blog. I want to try to get as many people on the show as possible. Um, I want to get some some big brands. I want to get some small brands and everything in between. Uh, some brand new companies, some already old and established companies and everything in between. Um, and I want to get you guys involved. And uh, the first thing is the bow review. If, you, if you're if you a follower of the blog, make sure you check the blog out. And uh, what I want to do is I want to have you, the listeners and readers of the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast and blog, do the reviews. And then I'll interview some of those guys on the show. And I'll have other uh, reviews along with that podcast that you guys can check out. They're from quote unquote nobodies. So it's a completely unbiased opinion of of how the bows shoot and handle from just average Joes like us. And uh, what we'll do is we'll go ahead and get those on and and, and let you be the judge and say, hey, I want to go shoot that bow. I want to give that that bow a try. Or I want to completely stay away from that bow based off of what you've heard here. Also, I'm going to try to uh, do what I call a hunter profile podcast. And uh, already on the blog, sometimes I do a, a reader success story where they write an article about uh, a buck they harvested. Now, I want to bring that to the podcast world and I want to I want to interview people about a successful season that they've had. And I've already released one, hunter profile, and uh, it turned out pretty good and people um, accepted it And uh, I'm going to try to do a couple more. So if you have a a really cool and interesting story that you would like to share on the Hunter Profile podcast, uh, go ahead and email me at ninefingerchronicles at gmail.com. And uh, we can talk on the podcast about about your successful season. Uh, One thing I'm looking for there is a little bit of a history with that buck, maybe finding some sheds or trail camera pictures, or you missed him, or you shot him and didn't kill him, or any real cool story that you feel others would like to hear, that means I'd like to hear it, and I'll put it on the podcast. Other than that, I hope everybody has a great 2016. I hope you guys all go out there, guys and gals, go out there and uh, slam booners uh, in about 10 months or whenever this season's not even over yet so until next time wear your damn safety harness